Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. What's up, Internet? It's your two favorite culinary meats, literary booze, on the airwaves at Heritage Radio Network with uh, recommended reading with Food Book Fair. I'm Kim. And I'm Amanda. And we are today feeling very well-fed and very well-read. We just finished lunch at Roberta's, and we have a really fabulous show lined up for you today with two truly excellent guests, which we will introduce shortly. But first, we will get into what we're reading, watching, and listening to. Amanda, what are you reading, watching, and listening to? (laughs) Thanks, Kim. See how I set that up for you? I know. (laughs) I've been away for a minute, so this is like, we're just getting right back into it. Yes, we are. Gotta coach me. Putting you in. You can, you're, you're the, you're the best point guard and co-captain we have. You gotta do double duty. Um, well, well, often the, the captain is an actual player. Oh, anyway. Anyway. Mm. There's some sports things I want to yeah, talk about later today. Th- I, but. D- I did that because we're going to talk about <laughs> sports. Um, and just for anyone who's just tuning in, again, this is recommended reading with Food Book Fair. Food Book Fair is an annual food media festival. And we are so excited to get to bring some of what we do at Food Book Fair, onto the airwaves here at Heritage Radio Network, our radio home. So I'm, I'm really floating above air today, as they say, or in the clouds. What is it? I don't, I don't know what that phrase is. Um, I'm, 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 I'm floating because last night we were at a super cool event at Project Farmhouse, mm-hmm. which is the new indoor space of Grow NYC, the nonprofit arm that runs all of the New York City green markets. And they have a brand new indoor space. And they hosted what we call a ladies' night. Um, it is organized by the former executive director of Heritage Radio Network and my very good friend, Aaron Fairbanks. And Aaron hosted last night, as well as Laura McDonald, who is Project Farmhouse's events director. Mm-hmm. And it was just a joy to be in an amazing space with just women. 
And I really felt like it was a great night because I got to speak to a lot of people that I hadn't spoke to before. And we really just came together and shared some delicious wine and everyone brought a dish. And I just want to give a shout out to Aaron and the whole Project Farmhouse team and Grow NYC for giving us a space to do that. And I forgot how invigorating something like that can be. So thank you. Whoop whoop, ladies night. <laughs> be kind, be fierce. Get on Aaron's li- get on Aaron's list if you want to get invited to the next one. It is women only and those that identify as women, so we we we're pretty strict about that. <laughs> so unfortunately men can't crash. They've tried. Um so that was I loved being there, and I just wanted to give them a shout-out. Um, also top of mind is Amazon buying Whole Foods. Hmm. Don't know how I quite feel about that yet. We didn't talk about that yet? No. We definitely didn't talk about it. On the show. On the show. On the show. <laughs> what, were you, what was your first thought about that? Oh, shit. Well, someone, was, <laughs> someone, was, someone else, a friend of ours, once said, you're the first person that I... I've ever heard cussing on Heritage Radio Network <laughs> on someone else's show. And I said, I don't remember that. But also, I didn't realize that was an issue. And then I, I, I think because I, I try to avoid that now, I, kept, I keep walking into it. But um, um, I found out the news when I was in Detroit about a week ago, a little bit more than a week ago, um, where there is a Whole Foods, which has been uh, a point of contention. In that city. Hmm. Um, Why is that? Quickly. Oh, it's hard to explain <laughs> the politics of Whole Foods Market in Detroit, Michigan. Um, but basically, um, signals of the gentrifier. Got uh, it. Questions of food access. Questions of who is this place for. Questions of the the, the politics of the place. Um, well, I think, you know, we need to call out Amazon and tell them that they have a chance to <laughs> to do better, right? I believe that Alice Waters did. That's what I'm saying. Water. Yes. Yes. Bringing that le- If you haven't read the letter, the open letter that Alice Waters wrote to Jeff Bezos and Amazon, read it. She's urging him and Amazon to really dig in and alter the supply chain and how they get their food. And I think that's a a timely topic to talk about with our guests, which we maybe we can touch on that a little later. Um, So, yeah, I think there's I think it's a big opportunity to be able to support farmers and for us to change for the better some of our practices. Well, yeah, let's be real. Um, The only way that larger scale food systems change and and food justice related change and those things are intractable, um, any any of that is going to happen is really going to be through large, large decision makers and supermarkets and suppliers and buyers. and one of the things that I was doing in Detroit as part of the Allied Media Conference and with building with other folks from all over the country that are involved in food and justice 
as part of this larger conversation, um, this larger conference about creating the more creative and just world that we wish to see through media, was a, a screening of Food Chains, the film about the coalition of Immokalee workers, of tomato pickers in Florida, and a couple of years ago, their battle against public supermarkets. And how that, and, and the, the campaign to get, um, the, the fair food campaign to get buyers of the tomatoes to pay one cent, just a penny more per pound, right. um, for the tomatoes. So that the farm workers could live closer to a living wage. And it wasn't even a living wage. And they petitioned many different companies that were large buyers, including uh, fast food companies and the biggest supermarket chain in, in that part of the country is Publix supermarkets. And the, the movie documents the power... The, the movie documents the story of this campaign, but also documents how much power a large-scale buyer has versus, right. you know, the conversation about food systems change and the conversation about food access and food justice. It's not just about knowing your farmer and going to the farm stand, though that's wonderful and, and beautiful, and that's part of the reframing. Um, but in terms of who pulls the most weight in our capitalist shit stem, as some folks call it. It's, See what you did there. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, the large players that have the most decision-making power. Right. And this is about to become the largest. We'll see what happens. Yeah. So what else are you watching, listening to, or reading these days? Um, this morning I was reading a couple different things, and this is part of a larger conversation that we've had. I was reading the story on The Root about Colin Kaepernick and how he can't get a job, and how basically... Should I should I gloss this? Should I go over the saga of Colin Kaepernick and how he, in relation to an ongoing protest of police brutality and systemic racism in America, now has a hard time getting signed as a quarterback? Hypothetical question. But well, basically, there was a story that the the main takeaway on this in this feature on the route was that the story. And the saga of Cap illustrates the problem of inclusion versus actual representation in, an, in the NFL. And it came up again, uh, or it's sort of there was some thematic continuity in my thinking when you sent me a story mm-hmm. uh, this morning, later this morning, um, on Civil Eats, which was a roundup about why, why we can't talk about race and food. And that was... Uh, take off from several great POC food writers including Bonnie Tsui who wrote uh, a couple months ago this piece in the New York Times, this op-ed in the New York Times about why there's still quote unquote Chinese chicken salad or oriental chicken salad on menus all over the country and the problem with that yeah and but the piece really talked about why there was so much backlash and why there are so many angry comments as a result of Bonnie's story. It, so that's what I'm reading. Yeah. If Again, this is a piece on Civil Eats. It's 
titled Why We Can't Talk About Race in Food. Um, and some incredible people weigh in on this subject, including our friend who we've had on the show, Stephen Satterfield, um, Tunde Wei. So it's, it was, I, I, I highly recommend reading this piece. Um, and definitely tweet at us, um, write in any comments, write into us, info at foodbookfair.com if you want to talk about this article. I think it's, it's something that we need to keep talking about. And we need to bring all of these voices to the forefront. And so thank you to Civil Eats for, for publishing this. And, you know, we could talk about it forever <laughs> on our show. I don't know if Kim, you want to have talk about any quick takeaways or, or you know, or what, pe- or maybe what people can look out for, or other other references that they could read with this. Uh, I highly, uh, I highly recommend a blog post that Dakota Kim put together for her blog Kimchi for Breakfast. It's basically a blog roll where it says all the times that people ask her, because she writes a lot about this, cultural appropriation and food and race, there is uh, a list of basically, there's dozens of articles and dozens of references to other folks who have written specifically Hmm. about different parts of this topic. Great. Well, we've done our job. We've recommended a lot of reading today, as our show, you know, said we would. So, you know what, I think we're just, we're out of here, right? We'll see you later. Um, We do need to take a very brief break to let you guys know about how you can support Heritage Radio Network, what Heritage Radio Network is. We are in the midst of our summer drive. Today is also the last day that you can go on to Charity Buzz and bid on incredible prizes that will support Heritage Radio Network. Um, So definitely check check out heritageradionetwork.org. And we then will be back with our two incredible guests today. We have Chef Mads Rustland with us in the house. And then we also have Tama Matoko Wong. They are the co-authors of a brand new book. It's called Scraps, Wilt, and Weeds. And so we'll be right back with them shortly. Hi, I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine? And how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese-American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese-American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes, feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese-American chefs, and try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. But what better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni, host of Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Our show is about beer, cider, things behind it like grains and malts and hop growers. And we'll talk to beer bar owners, brewers, kind of the whole world of, of what's going on in drinks. 
Tune in on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Support my show and all of the Heritage Radio Network programs. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the Beating Heart to Donate. Welcome back. This is Recommended Reading with Food Book Fair. And we are joined in the studio today. It's a party in here. No, I don't know. We I don't know if we've uh, had this many people in here before, but it's a it's a full on party. We have the forager Tama Mataoka Wong in the house with us today. Hi, Tama. Hi. Hi. And we have Chef Mads Refsland with us as well. Hi, Mads. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And we would have them on the show, you know, anytime because. They're completely rad. But we're here to talk, amongst other things, about their brand new book. It's called Scraps, Wilt, and Weeds, Turning Wasted Food into Plenty. So I think this book was fascinating to us on so many levels, but also just wanting to dive into how you two got to collaborate on it and you know what your hopes were for the book. And we'll we'll definitely get into that. But I think first, we'd love to hear just a little bit about who you are, what you're working on, so that our our listeners can be fully teed up to talk about the book. <laughs> okay, I've been signaled I'm supposed to start after I just had my Asian chicken salad at Roberto's. Um, so I am... They don't call it that on the menu. Yeah. I was like, sorry, chicken salad with Asian pear. Smoked smoked chicken salad with Asian pear. (laughs) Um, So uh, I'm introducing myself. So myself, I am um, a corporate Wall Street lawyer turned uh, forager with an innovative entrepreneurial food company. What's that called? Meadows and More. Okay. Yeah, good thing you switched over because we don't really allow lawyers on this show, so... (sighs) You got to pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm a Danish chef, so and uh, I've been here in the States for six years. And um, I was working in a restaurant in, in Noho, and this, that's also where I was working with Tama. Um, and now, right now, um, I'm building a restaurant in, in, in Williamsburg, and uh, hopefully start next year, or maybe a little bit before, <laughs> I will open up. <laughs> I'll cross my fingers. And yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. Excellent. So what, why did you write this book? Why did you make this book? I think, you know, in the beginning I didn't really want to do this book, but but now I think (laughs) it's it's amazing because I'm looking back at it and saying, okay, this is, this is amazing to, to actually make people give them some information about how you actually can use everything you buy instead of throwing half of the waste as it actually is. Mm-hmm. So I think it started in, in a way from from when I was started to train as a chef in Denmark. If I throw some something out, it got, you know, my chef was shouting at me and almost kicked my, my fingers because uh, this is money you're throwing out. And, I f- and then I came to New York and I saw a lot of scraps and a lot of trash in a way that's, you know, I normally used in Denmark. And I just started cooking as I normally did. And Tama, in a way, came and then saw all these things. And then she came up with this 
idea, brilliant idea. <laughs> and at that time, I didn't think it was such a good idea, but she convinced me. <laughs> That's my version of this story. <laughs> I have my version. Okay. I like and then, and then uh, we did this book, and I'm, I'm pretty happy you know, that it came out. I feel like blessed in a way that I can actually be a guy can that can teach other people how to use the things they're throwing out. Mm. Now okay. we'll go to Tama for her so side. Version yeah, so, of the story. so my version is that um, Maz and I were always talking about things, and some of them were um, that I thought were really interesting were how he always wanted things that other people didn't want. Like if people just wanted ripe fruit, he would say, I want the unripe fruit or I want the overripe fruit. And then, of course, you could bring it, but there's a whole another level below, beyond that about, well, when is unripe really taste good and what do you use it for and how do you use it differently? And so there was all this dialogue and really interesting things going on. And I said, we should share this with other people because actually food waste is really becoming it's a big deal in this country and around the world. It is one of the largest contributors or something in the New York Times mm -hmm. a week ago about how food waste is one of our biggest environmental problems. And as a forager and someone, both of us are so connected with nature. I think that really is something very you know, important and dear to us. So it's not just, I hear something cool. It's something that really people can do that can have an impact on something that sometimes can seem insurmountable. And this stuff that you can do. And not only is it kind of good for yourself and fun, but it also um, can do something good in a larger in a larger framework as well. So, oh, so how did we end up? You want more stories? Yeah, well, we were like bickering about like, <laughs> I didn't want to do a restaurant book. And it was too busy. Well, also maybe just elaborate a little bit, Tama, on how you, you work with chefs and restaurants and I think you okay. know, maybe there's some listeners out there that that might not know understand like I mean, yeah. and it's, it's probably very unique I don't think probably a lot of other people do things this way right and it was partly because I'm not really coming from a food purveyor type background mm. at all I'm coming up from it because I sort of want to take something from nature and put it on the plate and you know that whole dialogue is very different from looking at it as a commodity mm -hmm. so when people used to say to me like I would come and talk to the front of the house or some restaurant that I was they would say tell us about your products and I was thinking like products this isn't my products I didn't create this it's it's like nature's product I'm just the innkeeper that brought it mm -hmm. you know or in a certain way um, so I never looked at it that way so usually I don't work with a huge amount of people um, I don't um, have some list I send to 200 people because I feel like it takes a certain commitment um, to really, you know, sort of a, uh, an exploration that's very customized to what the style or type of cuisine the person wants and how they want to, to cook with it. So, like, something I would bring to a mixologist or a pastry person would be very different than I would bring to somebody else. So it's, it's more of an exploration, and every year there's something completely different. Um, and I think part of that is just there's always... Nobody knows everything about nature, and I think it's also because nature's changing mm. a lot. And that's why we love you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's really, it's like you, you really have a relationship with, the na with nature, and, and it's so personal for you instead of, you know, I'm, I never call you and you're not taking the phone, and I can always talk to you about what is in season, what is out there. I can come and yeah, visit you. Yeah, this kind of builds on itself. I'm like not, this, talk, you yeah. know, I'm not leaving a, a voicemail and then you come <laughs> yeah, it's like, next day. Hello, please place your orders now. <laughs> no, it's, and that's also one thing that I think is important for me. I have a relationship with you. You, you really, mm -hmm. 
you becoming my you know my friend and you but I really get inspired by her you know I, I don't get inspired to call you know, to call a, a voicemail in by the end of the evening and then leave a message to, to I need like six pounds of monkfish and two two dozens of oysters tomorrow you know I don't get inspired by that if you talk to the oyster guy and 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 sometimes I do and then I get inspired by him because he's so like so into it and he talks about all these new rarities of, of oysters and then and, and, and then I get uh, really inspired by it so for me it's very important actually that I talk with the, the person who's doing it with the hands themselves instead of just a salesman I think what's really special uh, about your relationship and maybe that's how your relationship has been built a little bit and it's led to so many things including this book um, is is how we were talking about this a little bit earlier at lunch, Tama, with your vision of sort of stu- being a steward for what nature has available and nature generously puts out there and being able to be a steward for the land and also to forage and share these these beautiful flowers and herbs and, and, and mushrooms and, and all these things with with chefs, with people who care about this stuff, and then also Mads, your openness and interest in being open to what is out there. And it's not about saying, as you were saying, Tama, earlier, like, I want these morels and I want them now. Mm-hmm. Because they might not be out there. And that's not the point. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I, I agree. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's you have to find, you know, I could never dream about cooking out of seasons. You know, it, it, it have to... We have to follow the seasons and, and use what's around us. It doesn't make sense that I will serve strawberries in the middle of December because it will taste not amazing. And so, this way of cooking, in when you are hands down in the soil in a way, mm. and you can feel Mother Earth is like here right now, mm. then you get inspired, and that's also how you get creative. Mm. I don't think I would be ever be creative if, if I have to work on on having strawberries. Like twelve months a year, like in have, California. No, I don't. You know, <laughs> it, it. Yeah, California is lucky. But <laughs> <clears throat> I'm not in California. I'm in New York, yeah. so no. I have to use strawberries when there's a season for it. But then again, I appreciate it so much, so much more when it's there. Mm-hmm. And you know, when the asparagus comes, you know, I was, I'm looking so much forward to it instead of I can have asparagus on the whole year. Uh, you know, you know, it's just getting the old old thing and you always do it it's the same right well touching on that seasonality and also what you said about growing up in Denmark you know we spoke a little earlier about how preserving and pickling is, is a huge part of Danish culture and it's really built out of a necessity for preparing for a very long winter um, is that the way that you grew up yeah I think every Danish child is growing up like that um my grandmother always had, always had like preserved uh, strawberries or jams made from the summer. So basically, every summer you you get you get all these berries, you get all the fruits, all this, and you start pickling and doing jams and all these different things, or, or pickled vegetables or sauerkraut or whatever you do to to make sure you have enough for the whole year. And uh, that's also in Asia; it, it happens everywhere in the world, and it actually also happens here. But I'm just so used to it because in Denmark we have like two months of of sun. <laughs> the rest is is gray and, and and cold weather. So, and also another way we have we have amazing white asparagus in Denmark, and it's coming in May, April, May. And then 
I'm always looking forward to it because you know I'm going for like 10, 10 to 11 months and just waiting for it. I mean, it comes up. Okay, everything on the menu is just white asparagus, and then after that you buy so many, so you start pickling them or you make different things with it, and and you can use it a little bit longer. Uh, but yeah, I'm used to to preserve and uh, and then pickle and all these smoking and fermenting. I'm used to that. It's like a culture thing, but I. It's also from Asia, like from Chinese and Asian cultures. It's very normal and common. Perhaps why the collaboration on this book was so successful. You feel like you had some common ground when you were coming up with some of the recipes or the ideas that was helpful to us as a starting point. I think we liked the same type of food in a way. Yeah. Okay. And I think... Um, i think I can learn a lot from Tama and I also think Tama is getting inspired by how I'm cooking with the things. Yeah. And, you know, when I met her, there was a lot of things I I demanded in a way without, you yeah, have never heard about, but she knew, you know, I want unripe things, as she said before, and and I don't think anybody had demanded that before. And I'm just curious, you know, what is out there? Why can we not use it at this stage of in nature? Why can we only use it when it's ripe? I think this is one of the things that kind of came together and some of these thinkings into this. So, and a, and a lot of it has to do with how people are just used to going to a, a grocery store and you see something and it's a snapshot of what somebody has said is the right, you know, so you never see it, you never see the plant in all its parts or the produce in all its parts and you only see a snapshot when somebody decided that's when it's ripe. It has to look like this color and it has to all, so if it's a little bit less colored, if it's, if it's, white on one side and, and, and red on the other, then that's not good. It, it will be thrown away. So a lot of this kind of snapshot of what a strawberry looks like or what part of the plant we eat is is already there. We don't even explore those other parts. And I think what we're trying to say is all those other parts and those other seasons can be um, delicious and it can also be kind of your own journey of exploration and discovering rather than just having someone decide for you in a way when this is good to eat. And that's kind of what he's sort of pushing back against, is that just because someone said, I have to eat a strawberry when it's exactly like this, I'm not saying that, or it has to be this, this firmness, or I can't use it. But that's what those are, when we go to the grocery store, we have selections. There mm -hmm. seems like there's so much, but it's actually all sort of the same thing and packaged in the same way. Mm. I mean, beyond what's available to us in, in grocery stores and markets, Can you talk a little bit about, and I know this is a, a huge part of the book, and it's sort of what kicks off the book, about how people can be continuing to uh, use things that they already have and might not be using. And Mads, this is something you said earlier, and this is part of what you were talking about coming up in, in kitchens in Denmark, about how food is expensive, and partly that's why you learn to not waste things. And with things here generally being, or because of consumer demand that things be inexpensive, readily available, available all the time, we do waste a lot of stuff. I, I think the biggest problem is is when we go out and buy things in the supermarket or we buy it on on online <laughs> and then Max Delivery is coming home with all your grocery shopping, I think we, to start with we're buying too much. We're buying more than we actually need. It's the same thing when we go out shopping for clothing. Mm -hmm. uh, we always buy something we don't need in a way. But uh, in this case, we cannot buy like like a 
you know, if you see a recipe, we cannot just buy these two grams of something. We have to yeah. buy the whole thing. But in the book, it's also really good, written by Tama, that, that actually how to, when we, instead of throwing this out or we forget about it in, in the fridge, actually you can do, use it for something else. But I think to start with, don't buy so many things and actually be more aware of what you are buying and when you go down there go down there and then make it into a thing with the family go actually shopping mm -hmm. for, for food together and then make a, a week plan of what you're eating I think that's that's very important um, and again it's money it, it, it is money and we are so busy right now so we want to pierce from not think about it but I think by the end of the day is is in a kitchen you cannot afford just to take the middle center cut of everything you have to use the end pieces or the, the by scraps or by catched or whatever it is that comes around so if you don't do that you will lose money and by the end of the day you will be out of business one day mm. so one I mean the book is organized by the ingredients so what you know you can go into the back and say like what are all the stuff I have in my refrigerator that beet tops <laughs> coffee grounds yeah. and we did Pick, I need we, to see that coffee grind <laughs> recipe, by the way. He went into this huge coffee grind like thing for a while, um, using all these coffee grinds. But um, I, we, I did consult with NRDC, uh, some of their scientists. They've done a, on the leading edge um, of a lot of the um, Nature's information um, on food waste. Mm -hmm. And, um, the, you know, there isn't that great data, but you could see w we made sure to include the things that are most wasted. So, of course, perishables are the most so vegetables and produce are highly wasted. And then fruits, um, dairy, uh, some breads. Um, and actually, meat is one of the least wasted because, again, there is a price on it and people have, at least they know you can throw chicken bones and make a stock out of it. Um, but certainly a lot of the parts of vegetables and produce that um, either don't look as good, they're wilted. So that's the second thing, it's wilted, it looks it's old, or it's a part that we throw away or that... It's, it's starting, we don't even see it in the supermarket, but you could probably get it at a farmer's market, which is more of the whole plant. Um, and then, of course, weeds is the stuff that we kill <laughs> and is, is around us, maybe growing in our containers, but it could be really good food as well. So I think that's that's actually how we it's organized, and that's why um, you know the title is supposed to indicate some yeah. of those things that you know that um, we normally. You know, cast uh, as as bad waste garbage or something. So, what would be like a weed, an example of a quote unquote weed that min many people feel as if they can't use or they don't know how to use it, but they it actually can be turned well, into something great. Well, I've seen great. it in the green market; they're selling lamb's quarters. Okay, so lamb's quarters actually, um, if people have read any of Michael Pollan's books, if you're talking about recommended reading, I mean, he said that the two most nutritious. When you eat more plants, but he said the two most nutritious plants are purslane and lamb's quarters, which I was like, yay, you know, weeds. weeds. <laughs> they're <laughs> weeds and people throw them out and they're trying to plant something else. Um, and you, I saw they were selling lamb's quarters in the farmer's market right here. They're also selling chickweed. Yeah, so chickweed. Um, and, you know, these things are really easy to cook. Lamb's quarters, the main thing, for I think, for lamb's quarters, especially they're just kind of cut a bit roughly in the market, is to cook them. I think they're better cooked than they are. Well, they have a little bit of a white film thing, but when you cook it, it tastes kind of nutty. You can use it like any vegetable. What do you think contributed to these weeds be now becoming available in the green market? Why is there a demand for them now? 
I don't know, we should do our, we're going to do a green market thing. We should ask them. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, maybe there's more awareness now and people are asking for it. I think if people ask their farmers for some things that you go to their stand, they'll be like, oh, yeah, sure. They're, you know, if they're an organic farmer, they have weeds. Or it might not necessarily be about consumer demand, but it's about the the producer or the person grow the grower saying, "I've got this thing. I'm going to try to sell it." Also, it's great for you. But I think again, yeah. it's come to demand of the chefs because mm-hmm. everybody knows in the morning all the chefs from all the restaurants are mm-hmm. coming to the market, and I think if they are heard about these weeds everywhere from all the restaurants then they, they go down to the, the farmer and then it's, can I have this and they say what the fuck is sorry what is this it's her, it's her, <laughs> we're it's not okay. sure whether you can you can cuss on the radio or not so just oh. Vitor is for, giving us the thumbs up which means yes bombs away <laughs> bombs away but then they definitely will sell it to you because it's mm. again it's free for them in a way you know the, the only thing is labor cost they have to go mm. in and cut it down and and then um Sell it to us. And it's very, very hard to make a living as a grower. So if you have it added is. value of weeds. And also, I mean, I remember the summer I started seeing chickweed on salad everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I'd never seen it before. And suddenly it was like everyone had gotten hip to the one yeah. grower that was bringing it in. And from a chef perspective, what are a couple of things that the average home consumer can do to reduce waste and to, to use something that they maybe never thought about using something easy. I mean, definitely they can get the book and, you know, go into, <laughs> the, the get into some recipes, but, but maybe just awesome. one or one or two quick things. Like instead of throwing this away, do this instead of doing this, use it for that. Something that maybe, you know, coming from a chef's perspective. Oh, there's so many recipes. <laughs> Not uh, even a recipe. Just everybody drinks coffee in the morning, so don't throw the coffee grounds away. Use that for whatever is written in the book. But uh, <laughs> can you? You no, got to You got to give us. You got to give us a little bit. On. This is a tough show. You know, we're not going to let you get away with that. <laughs> um, the panacotta. Um, the body scrub. <laughs> yeah, body scrub. Oh, yeah, kill us a body scrub. Um, you can infuse it. There's so many. There's so many flavors uh, left uh, in in cafe grounds. So you could infuse it in cream. You can as a panna cotta. You can make an ice cream out of it. You can make a crumble out of it. You can make so many things. You could be, do a bread with it. You can put in salt uh, and big uh, salt big vegetables in it or meat or whatever you want. Mm. Another thing that's a big part of the book is the juice pulp. We have turned that into amazing stuff. Also. Uh, we dried it after and then made it and polarized it. And, and then you polar, okay. Polarize it and then polarize it. Okay. So it's almost like flour. And uh-huh. uh, you can actually just put a heat it up with boiling water and you have a vegetable stock. Or you can also just mix it in into a pasta dough. So mm. you almost have a, a vegetable, the juice pulp and pasta. Um, Added I, fiber pasta dough. <laughs> yes, but it's blended, so it's, it's yeah. completely polarized. So. Okay, so it's juice taking fruits or vegetables, juicing them. Then there's a, a pulp that remains. Yes. Then dehydrating that essentially, yes. and then turning it into a powder. Yes. And using that. Exactly. Otherwise, you don't have to. Do, you can also just don't dry it, right. and maybe just mix it into falafel mix or into a burger or whatever you can. Just don't throw it out. There's no. Why should you throw it out? It's all the fibers, all the nutrients in there. 
Why do you think people are so obsessed with juice? Because it's healthy. <laughs> and you don't have to chew. It's just <laughs> drink it. Okay. Tama, any recipes or practices that our listeners can, can adopt easily? Well, one of the things, I mean, I think part of the reason people, you know, throw, end up throwing things out, out of their refrigerator bin, to the bin, is that first you just keep buying more things and the refrigerator's too big. So keep your refrigerator more empty so you can actually see you keep, I mean, we do this too before I, before I worked on this book, you keep buying more things and like you might buy something, my husband might buy something and then it keeps getting pushed, things get pushed mm. to the back and then in the bottom of the bin, things start mm. looking pretty bad. So if you don't stuff it so much, you can actually see what's in there. And then um, if you are using part of something, then maybe keep like a little bag, like a you know the wilted bits of the herbs that you didn't use or things like that. And then you can either dry it or use it in something later so that you're kind of keeping control of your refrigerator. Um, but some of my favorite easy, really easy 10-minute things to do in mm-hmm. there were a lot of the different pesto recipe. So my personal favorite pesto was the celery scraps pesto because it has the walnuts and it's really good. And it's not the kind of, the way he made it was not what I usually am used to thinking of a pesto because it's much more texture to it. And it's not, you don't use so much kind of oil. It's more like just chopped. And um, I also had this sort of impression in my mind that if you chop up celery tops, it's still going to be kind of like straw when you try to eat it. Mm -hmm. And it's not at all really. So that was a lot of things, by trying it in something really easy that doesn't take a lot of investment, I started to realize it tasted really good and that you really shouldn't have to throw it out. In fact, it makes another meal for yourself. Yeah. And there's a beautiful photo in this book of a refrigerator <laughs> that I that love. That is the photographer's refrigerator. Uh, wait, is that Andrea or <laughs> yes, Marty's? It is. Oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> well, I'll have to look at that. I've never seen their refrigerator. In, because, in uh, well, life. a lot of what, um, I, we, we did something else on Science Friday and they had this little excerpt of it called forage your fridge and so people would write in and say like this what got in my refrigerator you know what should i do um so i think that's that's also it's very interesting to see what people have in their fridge and then um you know you can start there what do you have in there and what tends to get in the back (laughs) that's a very full refrigerator in the book (laughs) i have a refrigerator envy of this fridge i'm sure i'm they coming have a very nice fridge. andrea and marty were coming over <laughs> to look in your fridge um well we have to wrap things up in a moment we didn't get to ask you a question that we often asked our guests which is what you're reading watching or listening to so maybe you could just leave us with one of your favorite books that you would want to recommend to our listeners. it doesn't have to be about food just or it could be along the same lines about people further finding ways to use scrap yeah. wilt and weeds I'm reading my own book right now <laughs> no uh, I don't have yeah, I don't read right now it's, I don't have a book so right, right now I'm just concentrated about opening up this restaurant so I've been concentrated about that so I used to read a lot of Stephen King's and all these <laughs> like uh, going into another world and, and then dream a little bit but in, right now, I'm not reading anything, really. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. You just wrote a book, so I think we'll give you a pass. I, I think it's more like I'm, I'm, I'm... By the end of the day, I'm so tired, so I'm just watch, watching some, some movies on 
I'm a computer nerd. I don't even have a t TV. You know, I don't see TV, so I watch one movie and that's it. What's what uh what's been in your Netflix queue? Yeah, I don't even have an account for Netflix. Are you torn? <laughs> someone can someone share their Netflix password with Mads, please? Just tweet at him. But actually, I don't need it. I, I think uh, you know all these movies you can download and okay. or just stream them online. I Anything good fine. you've seen lately? What was this last one? I don't remember all these names. I saw one. And what was it about? It was Kevin Costner or something with um I don't know, he was there was he was like a psychopath and his Kevin Costner is a new one. <laughs> I don't know, and then they they transport they transport like they're taking another another person's brain and put it inside inside of his his mind and he becomes that person. I don't remember that what it's called that movie. But that's the last one I saw. Right. Escapist fiction. We'll Into to, it. We'll have to put it in our queue. <laughs> yeah. Tama? Well, um, I do have to do a shout out to Dana Gunders of NRDC. She has a, it's, it's, there are some recipes in there, and it's a food waste handbook. Cool. So it's more of just kind of like strategies about shopping lists and things like that and what you can actually do. Um, and some of the stuff that we have is, is similar to what she has because of, of the statistics, but it's more of like a, hand, a working handbook. Um, and right now I'm working on some projects with like foraged syrups and cocktails so I am cool. looking at a couple of cocktail books and um, I did recently read um, Thank You for Being Late by Thomas Friedman we'll have to check that out as well oh thank you again Tom and Mad so much for being on the Thanks show for with having us, us we can't wait to dive into this book and make all of the the coffee ground panna cotta that we can manage I think I'll probably have to make that for a dinner we're planning on Friday. <laughs> we'll have a lot of readers at that one. We'll yeah. keep, you, we'll keep you guys updated with our next show on Tuesday. Again, the book is called Scraps, Wilt, and Weeds. Find it on your online retailer, should you choose to go that way. Or your or... favorite independent bookstore <laughs> with a great cookbook selection. Yes. So again, thank you, Matt Datama, for being with us on Recommended Reading with Food Book Fair. And, and and don't forget to support Heritage Radio Network <laughs> to keep the mics hot for this show, recommended reading, as well as dozens of others, all in and around the food world. And thank you to our engineer, Vitor, today for keeping us in check. We'll see you or hear you or something with you next week. for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.